Amen. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. Thank you all. I appreciate you all. Um, it's such, a, such a, a blessing again to be able to, to do that and say thank you to all of our ladies. And um, we were in Acts chapter 20 the week before, and we're going to jump back in this. Um, the points we saw was this. I want to just remind you of this. The first church priori- prioritized togetherness for the cause of Christ. And uh, the second point was the first church prioritized the preaching of God's Word. Um, you know, over and over and over these themes have surfaced in this study and, and these points have surfaced. And uh, I know if you've been in this study along the way, there hasn't been this wide sweeping difference in, in, in a lot of the points. There have been, I think, unique points along the way. But as, as we've said uh, before, some of this stuff is kind of re- recurring themes, recurring points. And I, and I love that, actually. Uh, because what we see in this is while there are some cultural and geographical differences uh, from when this was written and when this was being experienced to our day today, some things are very clear that they don't change. And that's what Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 says. It says this, that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. And, and the reason why that's so important, and I know some people argue that, well, yeah, there's some new things going on today because there's certain challenges, certain new technologies today that mankind deals with that man didn't deal with before. But here's the truth. Mankind is and always has been in the same condition since the fall. And that's why there's no new thing under the sun. That's why you're, you're going to see recurring themes that not only the church faces, but also the condition of mankind in that. Romans chapter 5 tells us this in verse 12, that just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. Listen to this. So death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. That's the condition of mankind. That's why we can read something 2,000 years later from when it was going on, and we can say, wow, these, these points are still applicable to us today. Wow, these, these examples that were set then, even though we may not face the same cultural battles or the same hurdles that they faced, the situations and many of the points are still very important. The reason is this, because sinners are still in need of a Savior. There are still, obviously, a lot of lost people in the world today. Um, Not only that, the solution for sin was given, and it still remains the same exact solution as it did in the first church era. Romans chapter 5, just a couple verses before the verse we just read, it says this, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than... Having now been justified by his blood, we should be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Jesus. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So the answer then is still the answer now to the problem that was then, that is still the problem now. The problem is sin, and men being sinners, all men being sinners, the solution then is still now the solution. Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. 
He said, he, then he said, this is Jesus, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, the first ordinance, the, the, the first testament, the, the, the first um, um, uh, agreement that God had made with mankind in order to establish this, the second. That covenant that was made was the first covenant. The second covenant is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says this, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, 2,000 years ago, the solution was given, the sacrifice was made, and the solution still remains. It's that sacrifice of Jesus Christ once for all. He says every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and after time the same exact sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered, offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until, um, until I'm sorry, onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected, listen to these words, for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, in their sins and their, and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. So if this, the forgiveness that is obtained through the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, was sufficient to forgive, the Bible says that where there's actually forgiveness of sin, there no longer needs to be any offering for sin. You don't have to continually offer that. Jesus paid the price. The solution is still Jesus Christ. The gospel is still the good news. The strategy is the church. That's why it's so vital that we're going through this study. The, the church is, again, the solution is Jesus Christ. His gospel is good news. But the, the strategy, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father after he had raised from the grave, he, he gave this commission to his church, and it's still the commission that remains. That's why these recurring themes keep showing up. In this next section of Scripture, we're going to see one of the most, I think, uh, inspiring departing messages in Scripture. You know, you have different times where maybe Moses passes the baton to Joshua or, or uh, Elijah passes, passes the baton to Elisha. Um, there are other times when uh, leadership batons basically are, are passed, if you will. And we're going to see uh, one, of the, one of these times kind of go on uh, with, a, with a group of people, not just one person. And we see the Apostle Paul give this farewell charge to a group of leaders that I think we can glean so much from. And so in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we pick up, it says, from Miletus, he sent back to Ephesus, so he sent a messenger. He, he needed the elders of the church there in Ephesus. He wanted them to come, and when they had come to him, he had said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Paul said, look, you can examine my life. You can see how I lived among you. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you. So if it needed to be said, I said it. If it needed to be preached, I preached it. And I taught you both publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greek repentance towards God and faith toward Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that I think is so uh, valuable and so important that the Apostle Paul was telling these, uh, these uh, Ephesian elders, one of these things that he was telling them as he was about to, to, to never probably see them again until heaven is this, point number one, sound doctrine is profitable. 
not simple ear tickling. Sound doctrine is profitable. And, and again, you know, we can, I could stand up here and I could tell you story after story. We could laugh, we could cry, we could move, I could, we, could, we could talk about everything. We could talk about politics and sports and we could talk about, you know, uh, outdoors and kids. We could do all kinds of stuff. We could tell all kinds of stories and we could take up our time doing that. But I'm telling you this right now, just as it was then in the first church era, it's now still in this, I believe, the last church era. That sound doctrine is what is profitable. To teach God's word, to teach what God has said. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means sound teaching. What does sound mean? It's teaching the truth. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, I didn't didn't shrink back. I I didn't shy away from declaring anything to you that was profitable for you. You may not have liked it. You may not have uh, wanted to hear it, but it was important to, to speak and to preach. Sound doctrine is profitable. That's what he told Timothy as he wrote near the end of his life, actually. When he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture, everything is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. That's doctrine. And it's profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the importance of, of preaching the Word of God, making, making it the priority. We can come in here and, and, and we can be focused on trying to entertain and, and, and have uh, music that, that wows, and, and, and you, you, you have to know the heart of our, our music director and our worship pastor. In, in, in my heart, we, together, we, we want to honor the Lord. We want to sing songs that, that exalt Him and, and, and that we can sing together as a congregation. We're not here to entertain anybody. And I'm not standing here speaking to entertain or to tickle or for anybody to like me. I, I have a call from God that I'll have to stand before God and answer for. And that call is to preach the Word of God both in season and out of season. When it's popular, when it's not popular, what people don't want to hear, when they don't want to hear it sometimes, that's, that's, what it has to, that's what has to happen. There has to be this priority given to not only preaching, but preaching sound doctrine, declaring the truth, being sound. Titus, Paul wrote to him in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, but as for you, Titus was a pastor, he was telling Titus, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. Again, sound simply means healthy or uncorrupt, what we know maybe is true. So teach what is true, unadulterated, uncorrupt, or healthy teaching. Speak that, say that, preach that, do that. Teach true teachings. And I think this goes back to what is truth, right? If you haven't had a conversation with somebody who is maybe lost or searching for Christ. Of course, they're, they're lost if they're searching for us. But uh, if they're kind of searching things out and, and they've got a lot of questions, if you've never had a conversation with somebody who has said something like this to you, well, what is actually truth? Then I, I encourage you to try to have some conversations with people like that. And then you say, why do you want to encourage to have a conversation with that? Because it'll, it'll, it'll cause you to seek it out in God's Word. Because we're told in Scripture to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We're, we're, we should know what we believe. That's what Paul said. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
We should know what we believe, and we should know what the truth is. Again, someone else asked that, what is truth? Maybe you know who this person is in Scripture. Somebody asked Jesus himself, what is truth? You know when he asked him this? When he was on trial. It was Pilate. It says in John chapter 18, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Very clear question. Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Don't you love when people answer a question with a question? <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus did. He wanted to know the, the motive. He, he didn't, I'm sorry, that was, that was, I said that wrong. He didn't want to know the motive. He wanted Pilate to acknowledge the, the motive. Jesus already knew the motive of his heart. But he asked him the question so that Pilate would acknowledge what was going on in his heart. He said, are you asking this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, look, I'm not a Jew, am I? I he answered a question with a question again. Look at me, I'm not a Jew, I'm a, I'm a Roman official. He said, your own nation and the chief priest of your religion delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over the Jews. That's what would be going on right now. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So Pilate's mind at this point was blown. So he said to him, so are you a king? <laughs> Can you imagine the, 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 the frustration there? Like Jesus answering questions with questions and and, and Jesus tells him about this kingdom, and, and if it was of this realm, then, then, then there would be a fight on your hands, but there's not a fight. And, and so, so Pilate's mind is just swimming. He can't understand what's going on. He's asked Jesus, are you a king? Just tell me. So Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, listen to this. Here's my voice. Jesus said it like this when he was teaching his disciples, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. But Pilate was still had his mind blown. Again, what, what I said a while ago is, is so important because right, what, what we're dealing with today is this, rel, uh, this relativism. Truth is relative. Your truth is not necessarily my truth. I'm not saying that's true. That's what the world and so many people say today. They're even professing Christians. Say, well, I know the Bible says this, and you believe it like that, but that's not so much for me. Look, truth is truth. You can't make it say something you want it to say. Truth is truth. It's not relative at all. It is absolute. If you're here this morning and you're not positive that truth is absolute, I'm telling you this morning, not by my words, but by Jesus' words, that truth is absolute. Pilate wanted to know because they were dealing with relativism even then. They were, they were dealing with people having their own version of truth back then. So he asked him the question. Look what he asked him in verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? If you're saying that your people hear you because they know the truth and, and you're here to testify the truth and you got to tell me what is the truth. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I find no guilt in him. And what's interesting about the truth is that Jesus told, told us what it is. I love that too. God doesn't leave us in the dark. We're not having to sit here and wonder, okay, we're supposed to teach the truth, love the truth, follow the truth, you know, you know have this truthful teaching, sound doctrine, what is it? 
I mean, what, where do we find, what is it? I mean, is it just the Word of God? I mean, what is truth? This is what Pilate asked. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So to know Jesus is to know the truth. It's just exactly what he told Pilate. Those who are of the truth, they, they know me. They, they hear me. Before he was arrested and he would stand trial before Pilate, he prayed to the Father for us. They're praying for his disciples and for those of us who would believe after them. In John chapter 17, verse 17, he prayed to the Father and he said this, sanctify them, set them apart, consecrate them, consecrate your people in the truth. And then he says this, your word is truth. Who is Jesus? The Bible tells us very clearly that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the incarnate Word. You hear the, you hear the, the phrase, uh, my Word is my bond. This is, you know, what, what I say. Jesus said it very clearly like this. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart comes out. That, that, this, is, this is what happens. When, when God speaks, again, this is what John chapter 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made by Him, when without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the incarnate Word. He is truth. Again, to enter into a relationship with Him is to enter into this relationship with truth. And so to violate that, to step aside from preaching Jesus, from teaching sound truth, from teaching the, 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 the gospel that says that we're all sinners— that we're all going to face the wrath of God against our sin upon ourselves unless we repent and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, surrendering our life to Him, the Holy Spirit coming in. We, we will face that. That's, that's the truth. And that's what we are to preach. So we as a church are to be set apart by the truth, by Jesus. That's what makes us distinct from the world. That's why, please hear me, when I said in the beginning, the more we love, the more we fall in love with the Lord, the more we fall in love with the things of God, His Word, His worship, His people. I mean, you, you, you can't help but do that. That's just the way it works. When, when you ha start having this deeper love for truth, for Jesus, then it starts making us distinct from the world, and that's exactly what Jesus told His followers. He said, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So the more that we love Jesus, the more we love each other, the more that this, this love for truth and, and this, this proclaiming of truth becomes the priority in our life, we become even more distinct from the world. And that's exactly what Jesus taught too. We're here on a mission with truth. We're here to give sound doctrine, truth, teaching, and not ear tickling. We are to do this and not back away, but to do this, you must know this. That's why Paul was given this charge. It's also why he would eventually write to Timothy and say this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead 
at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Why do you just need to keep teaching the truth? Why do you need to just keep opening up week after week and verse by verse doing the same thing? Why will you need to continue to teach what the Bible says and not just some fad or some trend or some uh, entertaining thing? Why do you need to keep preaching the truth? Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure uncorrupt teaching, when they will not endure truthful teaching. And in that time, according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves their own teachers. And in doing that, they'll turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We live in a time that feels a lot like what happened to Stephen. If you have been along in this study, you know what happened in Acts chapter 7. This is what Stephen was saying to the people present in his message. Listen to what he says. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers or murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, listen to what happens. He, he, was, he was making it plain to them. <laughs> when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began to gnash their teeth at him. Now, I, I, look, I've seen people sleep. I've seen people get up. I've seen people mad. I've seen people have ugly face when I'm preaching. I don't know that I've ever seen somebody gnash their teeth at me. I'm not saying that it's, it's not happened. I'm not saying that some, somebody out there right now is not going, you know. But that's, that's what they, they began to gnash their teeth. You know, they wanted to, I don't know, eat him. I don't know. They began to gnash their teeth at him. But look what happens. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they, they didn't like that. That's to say, it, to say the least. They, they liked that even less. But they cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears and they rushed at him with one impulse. The Bible in, in, in one translation says they stopped their ears up. They, they put their, like little kids, right? La, 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 you know. They rushed on him with one impulse. Altogether, they jumped on him. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And, and, and the witness laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And when they were stoning Stephen, as he called on the Lord, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, following the same pattern of his Lord. While on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Having said this, he fell asleep. Many people in the world are driven by what they want to hear. That's normal. That, that's normal for people who are separated from Jesus Christ, people who are driven by their own agenda, people who are driven by their own lust and their own desires and their own thoughts and their own, you know, ambition. That's normal for people in the world to be driven by what they want to hear. Well, I like listening to, 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 to Joel on, on, on this day. I don't necessarily go to church, but I like doing this. And, and, and I don't always go to church, but, you know, I, this is what I want to do. And there's other people, they just follow what they want to do. 
It's normal. However, we live in a time when even those whose names happen to be on a church roll, those who actually profess Jesus Christ as their Lord, are more driven by what they want and by what they want to hear, by what the world wants from them, than by what their Savior does. And I wish I could tell you that we've never had anyone leave our church because they didn't like the truth. I wish I could stand here and tell you that we've never had anyone leave because they wanted to go and live and please their flesh and live in sin again, and therefore they couldn't stay where the truth was taught. But I can't stand here and tell you we've never had anybody do that. We've had. We've had people that they just wanted to live in sin. They wanted to go drink. They wanted to go party. They wanted to live with someone outside of marriage. And so they left. Again, Paul warned Timothy of this. He warned the Ephesian elders about this too. He said there are going to be people who creep in and they lead others astray. I'm telling you this morning, you can find churches who have compromised the truth because they have found it easier to give in than to dig in and love with the truth. There are others who also have messed it up by going to the legalistic side who have made it more difficult to enter into heaven, as Jesus told the Pharisees. Then there are just those outright false teachers, those self-proclaimed churches. I'm not calling them churches. They are self-proclaimed churches that embrace sin itself. And and we're probably only going to get this one point this morning, but recently I have to share this with you. There was a satanic profession that was reported as a seminary. And I cannot say that it was a seminary, and I can't say that it was a prayer And they said that it was a prayer. They spoke. They said something like this. And I want you to hear exactly what was done in this place that was called a seminary. It's not a seminary. It's not a training for righteousness. not a training for preaching and teaching. not a training for ministry. It's it's a satanic um, environment. I don't know what else to say. This is what what happened in a so-called assembly at a seminary. The speaker says this. Good morning. The holy and queer one be with you. The crowd responds, and also with you. The speaker then says again, we want to affirm everyone to be who they truly are, to step into the Holy One's fire that burns away all that says we are not good enough and refines us by the Pentecostal fire to be who exactly the great queer one calls us to be. The crowd responds, Strange one, fabulous one, fluid and ever becoming one. Do not allow us to make our ideas of you into an idol. The speaker then says, you are as close to us as our own breath, and yet your essence transcends all that we can imagine. The crowd responds, you are mother, father, and parent. You are sister, brother, and sibling. Listen, they said, they said, you are drag queen and trans man, and gender fluid, incapable of limiting your vast expressions of beauty. That is not church. That is not of God. That's of Satan. That's not of the truth, but it's out there. And you know where I found that? Published. Out there. It's out there. People read it, and they follow it, they accept it, they embrace it. Why is it so vital for us to keep preaching the truth? Because that junk is out there. And other perversions are out there. 
and other, other variations and other lies to draw people away from the truth and to draw them away from the gospel. Why is it so vital for us as a church, for you as a Christian, to hold to the truth, to be faithful to God? Because there's junk out there like that. And for every time a Christian says, well, the things of God just aren't quite as important as these things in the world right now, that person who's searching for truth says, okay, oh, I get it. So you can kind of do this, you kind of find your own way. There isn't an absolute truth. There isn't an absolute way. There isn't an absolute God. There isn't an absolute Savior. You can kind of make your own thing your own way at your own time. That's why it's vital for the church to preach the truth and stay with the truth, to teach and preach sound doctrine and to live it out. I don't know if that's what they experienced in Ephesus or Corinth. But there were some similar things that were going on there, I promise. And the charge was very clear to those Ephesian elders as Paul was about to leave them. He said, stick with the truth. Keep preaching the truth. See, Paul himself was moving forward and knew that what lied ahead for him was not a cush life of ministry. Not a, not a cush life of ministry retirement. Paul knew that as he moved forward in faith to Jerusalem, that more suffering and sacrifice for his king, more laboring for his kingdom was ahead. And I want you to hear what he says, and we'll close. Verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are going to happen to me there, except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. That's all Paul knew. That's all he knew was, was I know that the Spirit is leading me to Jerusalem, and all I know is this, that the, the Spirit has testified every time he leads me into a city, you know what it leads me to? It leads me to chains and tribulation. That's what it's leading me to. So I can expect nothing else other than when I go to Jerusalem, the same exact thing awaiting me. But look at verse 24. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. Paul said, look, I have nothing. Look, I don't know what waits for me in Jerusalem. The only thing I know is this, that every city I've gone to and the Spirit has led us, it was very difficult. So that's what I'm expecting in Jerusalem. But he told those Ephesian elders as an example, and still an example to us 2,000 years later. But that doesn't shake me. Knowing that I'll probably go to Jerusalem, I'll probably go into prison, I'll probably get beaten, stoned, I may even lose my life there in Jerusalem. None of that changes the direction. None of that changes my devotion. I simply want to fulfill the calling that God has given me to fulfill. I'm going to stop there this morning, and we'll get point two 
next week, but I want to encourage you. If you don't know the truth, if you're not daily in the truth, you should be. Because there are so many lies. There's so much false doctrine out there today. There's so many people, listen to, please hear this, that have a form of godliness but deny its power. That, that do not live according to the truth, who do not follow. Remember what Jesus said? That, that his followers knew the truth. They could hear the truth. They could, his sheep know his voice, and they follow him. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. I believe it was 14, 15 or 15, 14. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, whether you're a member of this church or not, I believe we're living in the last days. And your love for Christ should be increasing. But you know just as well as I do what's happening in our lives. The enemy is throwing everything he can at us to cause our affections to go to temporal things and to worldly things and to sinful things. And you know how how it happens. We get so busy, we get so tired that we just want to run after those things. And it becomes even more difficult to be a disciplined follower of Christ, to fall more and more in love with him and less and less with the world. And I want to encourage you, make that a commitment this morning. Maybe you say, God, I'm not in your word. If somebody came up to me and asked me uh, what the truth was until I heard this this morning, maybe I I wouldn't even know what to tell them other than that. I don't know what to to explain to them, how they could know the truth. or Man, make a commitment this morning to be in the truth because I'm telling you this. It's not just that the days are coming that people are turning, around from, turning away from sound doctrine. We've been in that for, for decades. I believe we're nearing the end of it. And so who will you stand with? Who, who will you be counted among? Will you be counted among those who are holding to sound doctrine? Or will you be like those who go away or could go away at the drop of a hat? And I, I pray that you're devoted to the truth. We're going to keep preaching the truth here. We're going to keep preaching until the Lord takes us home. We're not going to change anything as far as preaching the truth. We're going to keep doing it. And I hope that you fall more in love with Jesus because the more you do, you fall more and more in love with the truth because he is the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for this opportunity. Thank you for the the, the privilege of being able to preach the truth, Lord. We know that there's so, so many battles in our world today. I mean, it, it, even Christians get divided on worldly things, on, on political issues, on, on so many things. There's so, so many things that divide us. That's why you made it so simple for us that what unites us is the truth. We are set apart by the truth. That's what you prayed in John 17, we just read, we are to be set apart by the truth. There, there should be no greater bond and no greater devotion than, than that's found in your church, this church, because we are devoted to your truth. We're devoted to you, to preaching it, to loving it, to sharing it. And I pray that you would stir the hearts of your people in this place today. There, there is a, 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 a version, if we can call it a version, of Christianity that exists in the world today that looks very impotent and very carnal. It looks more like the world than it does like Christ. 
And I pray you forgive us for that. And for those that may be in, in that area, maybe in this place today, I pray that you would move their heart and let them realize that the time's running short. Not to live as much for this world as they can, but to live for you while they can. Because the account is coming. The judgment is ahead. And Lord, it will be worth it in the end. So help us, God, to take the seriousness of the, the situation, the seriousness of the, the time, and live for you with everything we have. Just as we read, let us live like Paul was living, not counting our lives dear to ourselves, but wanting to fulfill the whole purpose while we're on this earth. And that's to please you and live for your kingdom. Lord, if there's somebody here that's lost, maybe they heard the gospel this morning, heard that you died for them, that you rose again, and that you're the only way to heaven. But if they're here and they're not positive that they're going to heaven when they die, I pray they'd move during this invitation. We'll just move now and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to encourage you to come.